Dear listeners, we have decided not to release the episode that we were planning for this Thursday. In the wake of the murder of George Floyd and now the protests that are spreading throughout the United States and the world, we feel that it is a time to listen deeply, practice inquiry, and investigate ways to engage skillfully. Let's consider this short check-in, a call to practice. We believe that capacitating mindfulness helps us see the life that is here now with clarity. It prevents us from being easily influenced by our biases and others' agendas. And it supports us in responding to what we see with wisdom and compassion. If you want to fully engage in the world in a helpful rather than harmful way, use mindfulness as a foundation. Now, hopefully this is not necessary, but we want to be clear that we are not suggesting you take up navel-gazing or self-improvement. We are not suggesting you meditate instead of participate. We are suggesting you join practitioners all over the world in shining the light of awareness on the ways in which we unconsciously harm ourselves and others and instead figure out how to be part of the healing. Very early in his book, The Way of Liberation, A Practical Guide to Spiritual Enlightenment, spiritual teacher Adyashanti writes, We are no doubt at a very critical point in time. Our world hangs in the balance, and a precarious balance it is. Awakening to reality is no longer a possibility. It is an imperative. We have sailed the ship of delusion about as far as she can carry us. We have run her ashore and now find ourselves shipwrecked on an increasingly desolate land. Our options have imploded. Wake up or perish is the spiritual call of our times. Did we ever need more motivation than this? In the spirit of this call to wake up or perish, Sarah Jane and I want to share with you some resources that we feel are essential for anyone that cares deeply about understanding the world as it really is, so that you can take the next great step to make it better. We are centering the works of people of color and other non-dominant identities because we feel that theirs are the voices most expert in talking about the issues of race, social justice, and the intersection of spirituality. We will share links to all of these resources in our show notes. First on my list is Blind Spot, Hidden Biases and Good People by Mazarin Banaji and Anthony Greenwald. Banaji is a professor of psychology and social ethics at Harvard, where she studies thinking and feeling, as well as the mental systems that operate in implicit and unconscious mode. Greenwald is a psychology professor at the University of Washington. He has spent most of his career studying persuasion. Banerjee, Greenwald, and others work together to develop the Implicit Association Test. The IAT, as it's often called, tests a person's implicit associations or biases. 
There are several tests you can take to reveal subtle biases around race, gender, age, sexuality, weight, disability, and more. In Blind Spot, Banerjee and Greenwald unpack the origins of our biases and how we can, in their words, align our behavior with our intentions. The book is full of data points from the thousands of test results they've collected over the years. Blindspot often appears on reading lists for workshops and courses on unconscious bias. What I appreciate about it is that the authors describe well why we, even those of us who are very committed to equity and inclusion, have unconscious biases. They also share really cogently why understanding our hidden biases matter and how to override them. Thank you for that. I took that test as part of a beloved community workshop and um, beloved community is a, it's the name for um, a Buddhist approach to anti-racism work. And the test was illuminating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So contemporary training in Buddhist mindfulness methods is incomplete without anti-racism education and trauma-sensitive training. In my explorations of mindfulness and the Buddha Dharma, I've been educated by the work of Larry Yang, a Theravada Vipassana teacher affiliated with Spirit Rock and the East Bay Meditation Center. His book, Awakening Together, is a guidebook for collaboration and inclusivity in community. And I want to read a description of it from a particular testimonial. Larry Yang seems to have thought of everything we will need as we venture bravely forward through racism, prejudice, and ignorance into the free spiritual beings we were meant to be together. Isn't that lovely? Does it make Mm. you want to read it? I'm particularly resonating with the hint of the Bodhisattva calling to you know, support one another on the spiritual journey. And I, I have to believe that if these awakened beings were around today, that they would find social justice an imperative on the Buddhist path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That testimonial was from Alice Walker, mm. a beloved American writer and social activist. Buddhists like to say she is a non-Buddhist Buddhist. (laughs) (laughs) So Mm. what else do you have, Jen? Well, for some, it can be really helpful and powerful to root our activism in spiritual soil. Spiritual communities have often been on the front lines of social change. Just this morning, before we recorded this episode, I read a post on Facebook by Ginny Gerbasi, who is the rector of St. John's Episcopal Church here in D.C. It's located right across the street from the White House and alongside Lafayette Park, which is where people go to protest in front of the White House. You've undoubtedly seen this on TV recently. Their basement was set on fire Sunday during the protest that night, and then the very next day, Gerbasi and other members of the Episcopal Church opened the church patio as a first aid clinic to assist Black Lives Matter medics during Monday's protest. Mm. This is really moving, Jen. And um, 
a wonderful model for approaching the social unrest with equanimity, for meeting not just the moment, but actual people with the kind of open-heartedness that has to be incredibly hard to muster. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Of the many things that drew me to Thich Nhat Hanh's Plum Village Sangha is that social justice and environmentalism is baked into the community. And of course, this is because of Thich Nhat Hanh's own experiences on the front lines of the war in Vietnam. But it also is bolstered by an incredibly diverse community of practitioners, people of all colors, ages, socioeconomic backgrounds, and nationalities. I've learned a lot from the monks, nuns, and my Dharma family for how to look deeply into my own heart, how to speak consciously and nonviolently, and how to be a compassionate ally, mostly just by observing the behavior that they model. I'm still very much a work in progress. I'm definitely far from done, but there's a lot to discover in the vast library of Thich Nhat Hanh's writing. And it's really hard for me to pick even just one or two of his works on the topic, but I really like the book Good Citizens, Creating Enlightened Society. And although it's based on the Buddha's Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path, Thich Nhat Hanh takes these teachings into a very modern and relevant direction by addressing the roots of discrimination and violence. It also includes the Plum Village take on the five Buddhist precepts, updating the language to make them more applicable to the particular setting and challenges of the 21st century. I don't have the depth of experience you have with Plum Village and the Thich Nhat Hanh community. But when you said you've learned a lot simply observing the behavior or the ways of the monks and the nuns, it brought to mind a wonderful experience I had the privilege to have escorting some of Thich Nhat Hanh's entourage, monks and nuns uh, from Vietnam, um, through Boston when they were visiting on the T, the subway, to the Museum of Fine Arts. And if you can imagine um, this beautiful subway ride, (laughs) you know, (laughs) we're like underground and it's gritty and it's crowded and everything is so pleasant because I'm surrounded by people who are collected and fine and quick to smile and laugh, I felt held in the spirit of mindfulness and something else I can't quite give words to. Looking back on that day, everything slowed down and every detail of the day was such a joy. There was so much delight. Mm. Yeah. So there's all of this quiet power in that community, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, on the other end of the spectrum, 
to further our list, I'm thinking of the sheer force of nature that is Ruth King. Mm. She's a meditation teacher, poet, coach, uh, using radical leadership uh, methods. And her book, Mindful of Rays, is like a Bible on the intersection of spiritual practice and racism. And all of the other Buddhist teachers quote her as saying, racism is a heart disease and it's curable. Wow. (laughs) So in her workshops for affinity groups, she uses mindfulness to decolonize the mind. Ruth King describes this herself on her website as a response to the way in which our response to emotional distress is often rooted in a deep groove of social programming. And I... I'd like to also give a hometown shout out <laughs> to Lama Rod Owens, who lives near me in Boston. He doesn't know this, but I know this. <laughs> <laughs> he teaches near and far. He is a Lama of the Kagyu school of Tibetan Buddhism and is known as a spiritual leader for the millennial generation. And he teaches live on Instagram maybe every day or so. And he has that accessible yet profound kind of style and gives great talks on heart-based teachings and practices. His posts are captivating and he's very active right now. And Lama Rod also wrote the book Radical Dharma with Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams. And she is the second black woman to be ordained a Japanese Zen priest and a known expert on the spiritual aspects of social healing. In this book, Radical Dharma shows how racial injustice and white supremacy are played out in sanghas, preventing collective awakening. And it's quite damning, actually. And, um, and crucial, I would say, for course-correcting Western spiritual communities. A few years ago, all of the white Bo- Buddhists in Boston were reading it, and in my circle, there was this collective, ugh, it was, it was eye-opening. There is so much work to be done in all communities, even spiritual ones. Maybe even especially. <gasps> mm. Yeah. And and though I haven't read it, I already know I want to recommend a book um, called The Inner Work of Racial Justice by Rhonda McGee. And she's a law professor and MBSR teacher. So this book just came out. It's about how habits of mind give rise to a sense of separation, suffering all of these underpinnings of racism. And as I understand it, it also shows a path forward through practice. So it's a real practitioner's guide to the work. And Jen, I ordered each of us a copy last night, so I need your street address. (laughs) 
Aw, Sarah Jane, thank you. I know you can't see my hand on my heart, but that's where it is. And oh, I look forward to reading that. And I will give you my address on my end <laughs> when we're off the recording. <laughs> Don't say it now. <laughs> we do have one last thing to share because many of you listening are also part of the Insight Yoga community that Sarah Jane and I are connected to. One of our teachers, Ty Powers, posted a very personal account last night of his experiences as a black man in the world. I will link to the whole post, at least the version of it that's on Instagram, because I think you don't need to have an Instagram account to see it there. But we want to close this episode with a quote from his essay. It's a call to use this difficult moment as a catalyst for transformation. Ty writes, We have yet another opportunity to help create a just world even when, or perhaps especially when, it's uncomfortable. We need you in this arena. Dig deeper, learn the history, and please use your voice to amplify ours. <laughs>